Hello and welcome to Como Explained. It's a podcast from the KBIA Newsroom. We take the thorny issues and politics that affect our community and we break them down. I'm Scott Pham, the Digital Content Director here at KBIA. Hosting with me as always is Ryan Femuliner, Assistant News Director at KBIA. Hello, Ryan. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Doing okay. Um, today's episode, we are talking about recycling. Get your vouchers in the mail, then you take them to the store when you need some bags. So that's a song that uh, Ryan Fumilner composed yep, for the me. show. Yeah, I wrote <laughs> no. it. I'm a singer-songwriter. No, no it's, it's actually like a jingle that is posted on the city website. If you look it up, it has to do with, it basically explains the process of those blue bags you see around town and probably use in your home if you're a nice person that recycles. Yeah. You don't have to listen to the podcast to figure that out. You could listen to this song, but um, we're talking over it. So you're going to have to listen to the podcast <laughs> yeah. at this moment. That. Yeah. So recycling. Um, we're doing recycling this week because somebody on Reddit asked me to. It was a f- weird way that he did it. He just, I don't know if y'all know how Reddit works, the wider internet, but, uh, you know, you, it's like a message board and you can, you have a little account and you can message people individually. That's how most people do it. But uh, this guy just kind of left it up on the message board the way you'd like leave a note on somebody's door or something. And he was like, hey, you guys should do a show on recycling. Could somebody tell me exactly what happens to our recycling here in Columbia? Could someone break it down resource by resource? He's wondering, do we sort the trash here? Do we sort anything here? And also, he heard a rumor a few years ago that plastics were just being thrown into the dump at a certain point because they weren't a viable option for us to recycle. Is that true? We're going to answer all of your questions. I'm not kidding. No, we really are. We, and we, for a while there, we're like, it was difficult to find some of these answers, to be frank, not to show you how the sausage is made here. But it was it was really difficult to get some of this information. But all of a sudden, Scott stumbled upon the right people and uh, didn't stumble upon. You found them. So we've got a lot of really good answers for you. So there's your promise. Yeah. It is a little murky. It's not easy to figure out where all these things go. It's, it changes from month to month. There are different buyers and prices are very confusing. But if somebody tells you that it's impossible to find this out, that it's not clear where they go, it's not true. Yep. It's, it's, there's, yep. it's, there's a few places where these things go. It's not an unlimited number of them. Mm-hmm. We'll have that for you. So we're not going to waste your time. We're going to tell you right now where your recycling goes. Your curbside recycling gets picked up by city employees. Once a week? I don't know. When, when is yours? Mine's on Thursday. Yeah. Well, I don't live in, in the city, remember? I live in Ashland. So oh, yeah. They, they Fake don't Columbia. Pick, they actually don't pick up. Yeah, exactly. They actually don't pick up recycling in Ashland. You have to oh. just take it, out, take it yourself, dump it off somewhere. So, you do that? Oh, uh, man, putting me on the spot. <laughs> Not as much as I should. Um, I'm a bad recycler right now, which actually we may talk about that later, too, about who does recycle and what's important in getting people to actually do it. We used to recycle when we used to have curbside pickup when we, when we lived in South Bend, Indiana. Don't do it as much now because it's a lot of extra effort. Yeah. Well, okay. so there's I have curbside recycling because I live in real Columbia. <laughs> so a city employee is going to pick that up, put it into a, basically a dump truck. They call it a side-loading truck. Then they're going to drive it into the Material Recovery Facility, the MRF, you're probably going to hear us say. That's a building that is on the same land where the city landfill is, northeast of town on Peabody Road. So, yes, we do sort it by hand. You know, if you, if you live in Columbia, like the rest of us, man, <laughs> uh, you know that you do a little bit of sorting already, not much. You have one bag for your fiber stuff, that is your paper and cardboard, and then you have uh, the blue bag of the song that you just heard a moment ago. And that's where you put all of your containers. 
But when we sell the recycling, we sell it by type. It gets real specific, you know, number one plastics, number two plastics, so glass get, bottles. So each of those bags get broken down into different piles, right? Right. So they drive it into the front of the building. They dump it on the floor. Some dude will cut those bags open, put it up on a conveyor belt where it goes up to the second floor. And then other people, other humans are sorting it by hand, putting it down uh, a little conveyor belt into every different type of recycling. Right. Which sounds very unmysterious. It basically sounds exactly how you think it would have to go. There's not some like really elaborate machine that can pick out what type of each plastic, each material is made out of. It's, yeah. it's literally a guy eyeballing it and saying, okay, here's one of those, that goes there. Here's this, that goes there. Yeah. It's not a massive factory. It's like three people at a time doing mm-hmm. this. One guy at the conveyor belt, one guy on fibers, one guy on containers. And uh, that's basically, there are machines, the machines that smash together. We'll get to that in a minute. Sure. But as far as sorting goes, it's just uh, you put on gloves and you do it. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll break this down a little bit more closely as we go along, but I wanted to give you the answer right up front. Um, when there's enough stuff, they sell it to buyers. So they pack it into bales and they sell it to the buyers. People who resell things or convert materials into industrial products, they will buy them directly from the city. The kinds of things we sell are uh, paper, mixed paper, cardboard, plastic, number one, number two, aluminum, uh, a few other things. Those are the most mainly the things that we sell. But one thing that's really interesting about this is that we have to accumulate a lot of it before we can sell it, right? It's not like the truck comes by every every week and picks up all of the aluminum we had that la- from that last week, right? It has to actually be an entire truckload before we can sell it. Exactly. So we're not selling every week. Uh, mainly that stuff has to get packed into bales and stored. And that is actually the reason why we don't sell everything every month. Uh, It takes about a month to get enough of a truckload to sell cardboard, which is actually pretty good. That means we're selling cardboard every month, a big truckload. A truckload is 40,000 pounds. That's a lot of bales, right? Especially if you're talking about paper. Yeah, that's a lot. 20 tons. It's it's a lot of it. So certain things we sell, we do sell plastic, for instance, number one and number two plastic. We'll break it down in a second. But that only happens about every three months. So it takes a long time to get this stuff together. Um, and that's the reason why we don't collect everything. If there's, if it takes us uh, three months to get common things like water bottles, that's a number one plastic, it's going to take us a lot longer to get less common things like styrofoam, which we do not recycle. Right. And that's where the Reddit commenter may have gotten onto that idea of the fact that there are some plastics that aren't actually collected. Um, because, again, the type 1s, type 2s that are pretty common are. But uh, there are some examples, right? Exactly, yeah. He thought that perhaps there was a time where we were putting all plastics in the trash. And that's not true. We were always recycling plastics. But some of them do get put into the trash. If they are not number 1 or number 2, uh, if they're a number 3 or 4, one of those, I believe, is like yogurt containers. Pretty standard type of recycled material. But we don't get enough of them to get a, uh, you know, to get 20 tons worth in enough time to make it profitable. Therefore, we don't uh, recycle it. We actually throw that into the landfill right next door. And then another part of that Redditor commenter's question was where all this stuff goes 
from there, right? And that's kind of the big question. You already mentioned one aspect of it that we have to wait and sell it as our supply becomes available, right? So that does make it a little bit more difficult to get regular buyers, right? Yeah, they're not coming by every week. They're not coming by every month. I mean, the city has some usual suspects, right? Some people they usually sell to for certain types of materials. But at the same time, sometimes the city will have this material ready and that buyer doesn't need it at that time, right? Because it's not a steady flow. So it's a somewhat... uh, um, it's a somewhat temporary agreement each time a sale happens. Yeah, correct. And the prices vary every month. So, yes, it is irregular. It's not impossible to find. Uh, here it is. Our aluminum goes to a company called Novellus. That's they're based in Atlanta, but they have plants all over the country. They're going to take that aluminum, smash it down into thin rolls, and those rolls are going to get made into all kinds of stuff. Actually, uh, Coke cans, Ford and GM cars. LG and Samsung stuff, uh, the kind of phones that you have in your pocket, could be coming from Columbia Aluminum. Right. And again, that's all these companies we're going to list here are common buyers, right? They're not always the only buyer, not always the person, that, the, the company that wants to buy them or is available to, but these are kind of our most recent ones too, right? Some of our recent Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we may not have talked to them last month. We may not have talked to them the month before. Sometime in the past year, we have sold something to them. Yeah. So another one, cardboard and paper goes to Mark Recycling, right? Yeah. It's based in Cassville, Missouri. So there's one of our our local friends. And actually, you uh, got a little bit extra information about this. Uh, yeah, I talked to Rhonda Bratton, and she told me that what they do is they separate out our cardboard from our paper. Those each go to different mills. The paper mills will then pulp it, that is, smash it into little bits, add water and chemicals, flatten it out into thin sheets of paper. Our paper goes to Cascades uh, Paper Mill in Memphis, Tennessee. Our cardboard goes to Arkansas Craft in Moralton, Arkansas. And then that's not the last place it goes either. Even though it's in some kind of paper, those sheets are going to be converted into some other kind of material, usually boxes. And then those will have to go to another box plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both these companies we've talked about that buy our stuff are kind of middlemen, right? They're getting the material and maybe doing a little bit with it and shuffling it out yeah. to the next to the next buyer, the next person that's going to use this supply. So then there's this interesting company in Kansas City called Ripple. That's where all of our glass goes. Or not maybe not all of our glass, but commonly this is where the glass from Columbia will end up. And uh, Ripple's a little interesting because it's not like these other companies. It actually manufactures usable products themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And one is really common, one that I definitely enjoy on a regular basis, are bottles, specifically Boulevard beer bottles. So that's where a lot of our glass goes to is this company, and they may turn it around and turn it into these glass bottles, which, you know, I guess – Sometimes they're getting those glass bottles to begin with, so <laughs> not necessarily uh, reinventing the wheel here. Yeah, I hope they but, don't break uh, it down. Yeah, I know, exactly. It seems like uh, lost efficiency if they're yeah. actually br- – but at the same time, that would be a lot of extra work to sort them out. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that's an interesting place where our glass usually goes. And, and most of these, it seems like, are staying regional many times. Yeah, I, I expected there to be a lot of weird Chinese buyers or mm-hmm. going – uh, somewhere out into the Atlantic Ocean or something, but most of them are staying pretty close. Yeah, which we, we had some previous reporting on this as well, that some metals are sold to China very commonly, yeah. scrap metals, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily the same thing as recycling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is technically recycling, but the, it's not curbside, it's right. not done by the city, uh, and these are other actors in the system. Yeah, exactly. Um, our newspaper is another thing that gets turned into a real product. That goes to a Columbia company called Cellpack. They make the kind of insulation that you pump into attics with a big, like, reverse vacuum cleaner kind of mm-hmm. machine. 
You're a homeowner, Ryan. Have you ever done something like that? Um, I usually – my old house, we needed to do that because we had terrible insulation. When you lived in the Arctic? When I lived in the South Bend, we would lose – house built in 1928 and all of our heat would rise straight through the roof. And we needed to blow some of that stuff in, but we didn't because we were too cheap because it was going to cost a lot of money because they charged a premium. And he was flipping it. Well, they, yeah, they charged a premium up there because everybody needed to do it because they oh. all lived in old homes. So it cost a lot of money. I don't think it costs near as much here to do it as it did up in that region. I've, I have looked into it, but I have a nice newer home now, so yeah. I don't have to worry about it. But, yes, that's a common thing that people will use, and I guess that makes more that makes a little bit of sense, too, because if you've ever seen that stuff. It looks like um, newspaper. It looks yeah. like newspaper. Yeah. It's not like this very refined product. Yeah. It seems like that process would be a little easier than, you know, reinventing an entire new bottle, things like that from these old materials. It seems like the uh, room for, you know, errors a little more as far as like appearance and that type of thing. You're not too worried what your insulation looks like. Mm-hmm. This is a funny one. I thought that we were going to turn our newspaper into newspaper. Doesn't yeah. that make sense? That makes sense. That, that's kind of what I assumed happened to yeah. recycle newspaper. No, but instead we just stick um, old issues of the Tribune into our walls. <laughs> uh, so there you have it. That's actually most of our recycling broken up by type and uh, with the names of the companies that buy it. You can stop listening. Goodbye. <laughs> no, don't stop listening. There's still more. There's still a little bit more to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah and, let's and, talk about the recycling you, program. Yeah, yeah. To really try to understand where uh, – where we are as a city recycling and where we may be going a little bit, yeah? Mm-hmm. So first talking about the history of Columbia's recycling program, in 1986 is when the city actually started citywide recycling. It was actually one of the first cities in the state to yeah. do so. Um, so back then, recycling was picked up directly by a private recycler, right, rather than uh, a city-operated entity. And so it was a flatbed truck. You separated out all your plastic, tin, paper, cardboard, et cetera, uh, because that sorting process is pretty intense. We didn't minimize it, but, you know, we talked – it's three guys there sorting things out, putting in bins. But it's a pretty intense process. It's a lot of labor, actually. Right. Uh, not an easy job. And so they required you to separate things out a little bit more than, we, than they do now. Right. So now we have the bag system, and that was a big leap forward for the program. It took them a while. It took them 1998. I asked uh, Laylee Terrell this. She's the waste minimization coordinator for the city, basically the recycling manager, recycling supervisor for the program. And I said, so when did we start this blue bags? And she looked it up, 1998. She was surprised about that because, you know, that means we went more than 10 years with this flatbed system. Um the bags were a big deal because not only did that mean that, that it was easier for people to get that stuff out on their curb and it increased participation in the program, but it also means uh, there was a cheaper way for us to sort it ourselves, right? Imagine if everything was in one big bin, you would need more people to sort those things. Contamination would be a problem. Things would get dirty. When they rolled that out, they had this uh, – they came up with that song so that people knew <laughs> how to get their – uh, Which I'm sure bags. everyone in town has memorized that <laughs> that jingle. And they had a character, Mr. Baggett, who was this uh, this guy. <laughs> You're laughing because you didn't think I was going to talk about this. No, I didn't know if we I'm were going to go there about or not. Mr. Baggett. It's like a, he's he's a legitimate. He's got the whole mascot getup, right? Yeah. It's not just like a cartoon. When you first told me about Mr. Baggett, which is like the ba- the blue bag character, I assumed it was a cartoon character, but no, this is like a mascot that makes appearances, right? Yeah, he's a little terrifying to be honest. He's just, got because he's a big bag of trash and like and he's like 
and he's got big eyes and a mouth. And who does? I wonder who wears the suit. I guess I we don't have the answer. Oh, you no, do? I oh, did. my gosh, you have the answer. Who I was it? like, I'm going to break the story wide open. Who <laughs> is Mr. Baggett? Huh. She says that they use volunteers to be Mr. Baggett. It okay. changes all the time. I was hoping it wasn't some guy they had on retainer, some right. local but she, mascot. She asked me, though, if I had any ideas for who wants to be Mr. Baggett. They're always looking for volunteers. Okay, good Send to know. Send us an email, news at kba.org. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hook you up, future mascots of the world. Yeah. Um, all right. So so anyway, the bag system comes through. And like you said, for, for schm- you know schmucks like me who say, oh, man, it's too much work for me to participate unless you come and pick it up from my side. You know, I, I'm not going to mess with it. And that's true. There are lots of people that, you know, there's lots of research about this. There's a certain benchmark where the level of effort it takes to participate, as much as you min- can minimize that, it's going to, you know, increase participation. So Yeah, so. exactly. Laley told me that national average for participation in recycling programs is like 32%. And Columbia is just about 32%. Oh, interesting. Um, which, you know, in some ways isn't bad, but in other ways, like, we're supposed to be leaders in this. You know, we're a pretty progressive town. You'd expect that we'd be at least a little above average in terms of participation. So mm-hmm. that's something that Laley thinks a lot about, trying to increase participation. Right. Um, let's talk about truck and landfill technology. We changed our trucks and we changed our landfills uh, sometime this decade, and that really changed how we recycled. It used to be that we had what's called a split hopper truck that picked up both recycling and yard debris. And that meant that a split hopper has like two two sections. So right. that meant all the recycling went in one container and then all the yard debris went in another container. That was bad because, you know, you're, you're separating out your containers and your fibers for a reason, uh, not just to make it easier to sort, but so that you don't get, you know, yeah, they container get all, juice. They get all over and, each other. Yeah. It's nasty. And, and it actually does affect the usability from a recycling standpoint of that material, right? Right. They throw a lot of it away, throw, you know, over a third of the materials away that they get in. Yeah, they used to have to anyway when it's contaminated. Or is that still the case? It's still about the case, but it's better. It's a lot yeah. better. In about April 2009, before we changed to this truck system, uh, we only sold about 68% of the stuff that we brought in. Okay. And uh, now, well, actually, the last numbers I have in 2011, we were selling about 78%. So we're okay, probably so over three good. quarters of what we get now actually is a marketable, recyclable product. And again, things like those uh, yogurt containers, things like that, unfortunately, there's no real way to, to get those recycling recycled at the moment. So that's part of that 21-something percent that is not, not currently recycled. Yeah. So the other technology that changed that made this possible was that we actually changed the way our landfill worked. And this was kind of interesting. I didn't expect to learn stuff about landfill tech when yeah. I was looking into this. I didn't know. I thought it was pretty simple. It's like trash goes in hole, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But apparently there's two kinds of landfills, right? There's the dry tomb landfill. That's the kind where you don't want any moisture. And that makes sense because it's going to decompose and it's not going to be good. And you get gases inside, right? Mm-hmm. Um that's a, you know, a, there's that landfill in St. Louis that had all this trapped methane gas. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I, I do. Yeah, yeah, caught on fire. It did, yeah. There's smoke coming out of the earth. Yep, trash on fire. Yeah, I remember trash that. Trash on fire, it was, yeah. It was a running joke on Twitter for a few weeks, yeah. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Missouri in the news. Uh, so, yeah, you don't want that. But uh, we have a new kind of, I don't, know, I don't know if it's new, but we have a different kind of landfill where you do want that, where you actually let the stuff decompose, you build up that gas, and what we do is we uh, siphon that gas off 
We have pipes and stuff that will actually take the gas out of the methane buildup, out of the landfill, will capture it, and then sell it to water and light, where they burn it, turn it into electricity, and it powers 1,500 homes a year. Wow, yeah. Selling it to ourselves, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we're just continuing to find ways to make money off of the stuff people throw away. And that's important, right, for the um, actual functionality of the landfill and its effectiveness, right? Yeah. And, you know, the, the effects trickle down because now... You know, we make a little bit of money on that methane, or at least we reduce our costs. We don't have to have separate pickup for, you know, yard debris and trash that reduces labor. And we get better efficiency out of our recycling. So that one change kind of affected the whole system. Right. And that's, the, the again, those wet landfills, the ones we have now. Yes. It's a, you can mix that. It doesn't make a, make a difference. The dry ones are the ones where the separation is a yeah. big deal. Yeah. The bioreactor <laughs> landfill is the kind that we have. So yeah, there's this other thing that's been a big deal in town that we always kind of laugh about in the newsroom, but it actually is very interesting and affects affects this conversation we're having now. And those are roll carts, right? It's it, what it sounds like. It's a big tub. That's what we used to have when I lived in South Bend, Indiana. We had and these most big cities. roll carts. Most cities, in the and South Bend's about the same size as, as Columbia. You would. Uh, t- it's a huge cart with the wheels on it. Roll cart. What it sounds like. You fill it up with stuff and drag it out to your corner. Right. We have them in Ashland, actually, which is obviously much smaller than Columbia. Right. Roll carts, for whatever reason, are ridiculously controversial in Columbia. Right. We're not going to get into the whole controversy, but it's been an ongoing discussion whether or not we should have roll carts. I asked Laylee about this, and she told me, "Well, here's the thing. She would love to have roll carts because that means we'd probably bump up that 32 percent. Right. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to. In this situation, we're also imagining recycling as uh, roll carts. So in that situation, you wouldn't have to sort your stuff. It'd be easier to get it out into the curb. Mm-hmm. Presumably, we get more people. Again, recycling. I am guy who used to. Used to do it with my roll cart. Used to recycle. Don't have a roll cart that offers recycling in Ashland because they don't do it. They don't do recycling at all, pick up at all in Ashland. So I don't do it. But if they had it, I would do it. It'd be very easy. Yeah, right. exactly. So I'm that guy. I'm the problem that they want to fix with this. Right. Mm-hmm. They could fix with this possibly. Right. But then here's the issue. It's going to be a labor problem for us because even though it's easier to collect that uh, recycling, if we mix it all together in one bin, how a lot of people imagine this might go. Um, then you're going to contaminate stuff and reverse some of the uh, the gains that we've made. Um, and worst of all is glass because glass breaks. It has it's a container, has material in it. It'll get stuff everywhere. If you have breaking glass in your bin, it's going to contaminate the whole bin. You know, you imagine you have you know glass in your plastics, glass in your paper. Nobody wants to buy that. You know, throw right. it away. Right. Yeah. So some places that have a roll cart scheme will not even uh, recycle glass. And one of those places is Kansas City. So Kansas Mm -hmm. City got their curbside recycling, and they have roll carts. They don't recycle glass, and that's one reason why we sell our glass to Kansas City. Oh, because they're losing all their glass. It's just going straight to the garbage, right? Right. I mean, there are yeah. people, there are private recyclers that collect it, but there's obviously demand there. Right. Yeah. Because again, they have boulevard bottling that happens there. They need to actually have that supply. So yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because that means ironically, we can profit off of people who don't recycle yeah. because of our recycling. Yeah. 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 Strange. So, but, and a lot of it is money, right? That has to do with this conversation, right? And what drives things and what drives decisions, even on roll carts, right? So mixed paper, for instance, it's it's about sixty cents per pound in two thousand twelve, or it was in two thousand twelve, but now that's dropped, right? It's down to forty seven cents per pound 
in 2013, which is actually that's a pretty significant drop, right? Yeah. That's almost a, a quarter, almost 25% drop. Um, and we sell paper every month, so that's a lot more important to us than the right. plastics, which we sell maybe every three months. Right. So, uh, so that's a kind of a big deal for because I mean, ultimately, the, the, that does affect the sustainability of the recycling program in the city, right? Because obviously, there's not a ton of money to go around, and so it, you know, whatever money they can make off of selling this stuff is going to help offset costs, right? Um, newsprint, meantime. Uh, was 33 cents per pound in 2012, but now it's only 16 cents per pound uh, this year in 2013. So that's almost uh, dropped in half, basically, uh, more than half. So unfortunately, for recycling programs, those prices are going down. For the buyers, it's a good deal. But that's yeah. kind of an interesting phenomenon. Do we know why that is? I'm not sure now. You know, it goes up and down. Uh, this year's a bad year. The last year was uh, was good. Uh, and there have been uh, uh, better years in the past. Apparently, Laylee told me that 2008 and that crash was really, really, really bad. She said that if there hmm. was a little while where they weren't selling anything. Hmm. That probably had to do with manufacturing, stuff like that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, right? manufacturing was having difficulty – uh, there was less demand, and we couldn't move anything. Right, yeah. Raw materials weren't in because we weren't pumping out many products in that time anyway. Yeah, yeah. interesting. So the hope is that it's not just a public service. That this is actually a money-making operation. So in 2011, we actually made $245,000, the city did, from recycling. Wow. That's pretty good. That is. That's, that's pretty legit. 2012, we lost nineteen. So you see these numbers, they, they vary pretty wildly. In 2013, we don't have final numbers, so we're yeah. not sure. But still, it's really interesting to think that you actually can make money off of it. Because really, when you think about recycling, it's usually like, oh, we're just doing our good to, you know, lessen our carbon footprint. It's kind of a – sometimes, oftentimes, you th- the cities will think of it as, you know, we're going to do this despite the cost that may, we may incur to do so. So the fact that if you do it right, you can make some money on it is, you know, a pretty interesting opportunity. And it, it sounds like, you know, the city has – um, a few things going on that make it, you know, a few developments in the past that have made it more reasonable for them to actually make a profit and expedite the process. But I don't know, especially if roll cards come around, it could be a little different, I suppose, like we talked about. Okay, well, I, I think we explained it. That's the show for this week. Um, if you want to be Mr. Baggett, send us an email. <laughs> um, if you want to hear that song, we'll, again, we'll have a link on the page. I am Scott Pham. My co-host is Ryan from Mueliner. Give us a listen each and every week. Find us on KBIA.org or even better, the iTunes store. Just search for Como Explained, then hit the subscribe button and get a shiny new podcast automatically each week. If you've got a comment or a show idea, we love both. Email us at news at KBIA.org. Tweet us at KBIA. Thank you for listening. Bye See you next time. time.